Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. tuning in. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? Hey, Mary Angela, I'm doing great. How are you? Can't complain. It's been nice. Been been a nice week. This past weekend, right? Like, what? Yeah, we were out for the, the Juneteenth celebration, actually right on Germantown Avenue between, uh, was it Upsil? It was Upsil in Washington, right? Yep. Yeah, that was, it was quite a day. We were hanging out at the G-Town booth. Yeah, no, it was great. Perfect weather. It hung around for Father's Day. It was great. Can't complain at all. What's going on this day in science? Well, this day in science, on June 23rd, Thursday, back in 2018, scientists recover asteroid fragments in Botswana. An international team of scientists from Botswana, South Africa, Finland, and the United States recovered fragments of an asteroid that impacted Botswana's central Kalahari Game Reserve. The asteroid named L.A., was the only the third to be detected prior to its entry into our atmosphere and only the second to be recovered. Though the asteroid's first fragment was discovered only five days of searching, experts say that the hunt is ongoing and that they hope to recover as many pieces as possible. After analysis of the asteroid is complete, each piece will be curated and housed by the Botswana National Museum. Oh, interesting. Curating asteroid fragments. I mean, what do you think the point of that is? Well, you know, I don't know the full scope, but assuming that asteroids bring either uh, rare minerals, I mean, nothing that's outside of the spectrum of what's on the periodic table, but, you know, maybe the mineral composition is very unique to that that asteroid fragment, and, and perhaps it tells scientists a little bit about more about maybe, you know, composition of other planets, considering that asteroid mm. fragments may very well be just fragments of other planets that perhaps got incinerated in our universe. I yeah. have no idea. Our stars, stars that, you know, turned turned red dwarf and blew up and, you know, whatever it is that stars do when they expire. Who knows? That's right. They, they shrink to a red dwarf and then they explode right. and uh, pretty much destroy... The universe. <laughs> <laughs> well. So so at, at some point, certainly not in our lifetime, that will happen. Yeah. Well, interesting. This day in science. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. there you go. So, well, uh, uh, what's going on in the neighborhood? Oh, you're going to ask me what's going on in the yeah. neighborhood first. Yeah, okay. Got, got well, stuff from the neighborhood? Well, I think the big news, uh, if anybody's been paying attention to the news, uh, you got the uh, Philadelphia being selected as host city for the 2026 World Cup. I'm glad you brought that up because something I'm going to talk about in our neighborhood segment has to do with that also. But yeah, that's pretty exciting, right? I know, right? Well, so besides Philly, the other American cities were Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, New Jersey, 
San Francisco, and Seattle. So Philly beat out all those other American cities. Heck yeah, we did. Woo woo. That's right. So <laughs> just get prepared for, uh, you know, the cops to grease the poles. Well, it's so. 2026. We got some time. Oh, uh, yeah, we, we do. We can so prepare. We can plan your bomb shelter now, folks. <laughs> Figure out what you're doing for that. Uh, and and make weeks. sure that you're out of town. Yeah. If you have family, <laughs> go visit them. No, I'm just kidding. It, it'll be it'll be a pretty exciting time in Philly for sure. Well, yeah, it will. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is that, you know, they're talking about turning um, South Philly's FDR Park into several of the game fields, basically. They're, they're talking about leveling it and, and turning it into, you know, a place for the World Cup because you have to have more than one field, right? You right. have like, you know, your big field for the big games, you know, the headliner games. But then you also have the smaller fields where everybody plays to sort of get into that big game in the playoffs, as it were. So you have to have multiple fields. So Philadelphia had to propose like what what to do. And they were like, yeah, well, near our sports complex, we have this big park in South Philly. We could just, you know, take this, you know, 200 acre wild meadowlands in South Philadelphia's FDR Park and convert it to artificial turf soccer fields, roads, bleachers, buildings and parking lots. And of course, the city has started a huge petition against it because it's (laughs) natural lands. And and I fully understand that. I really do. But. Right. But where else? Would you put it, right? Would you have them spread it out? Like, we're already worried that we're going to have so many people here in Philadelphia in 2026 that we're talking about telling locals to leave town. So if that's the case, do we want to spread it out? Where else could it be, I guess is my point. My other point is, does South Philly really need 200 acres of meadowlands? There's so much beautiful park around Philadelphia. We're blessed with... Fairmont Park, where you know we've well, got the Wizard Hicken. Well, they have to develop it, right? Correct. Yeah. So and right now that's... it's just yeah, but what else is happening to it? I mean, I'm on the side of go for it. Put it all down there by the sports complex. I mean, it makes sense to me. And I don't know. There's, there's, there's. I feel like there's so much like industry that could just be cleared out of there and replaced with with. A, a nice field, perhaps, or maybe on the naval yard. <laughs> they well, expand to the naval they can't yard. do that. Like, right. So the thing is, is that that's why they need this 200 acres, because they're like, this is actually quite a bit of space mm-hmm. that is nothing's happening on it right now, except marshes and swamp land, basically, that just adds to the humidity of South Philly. So I honestly feel like this might help South Philadelphia, like not be so sweltering and hot because... You don't have this, you know, humidity chamber down there if you're going to fill it in and you're going to develop it and you're going to turn it into soccer fields. Also, think about like, you know, all the other school competitions, you know, all the all the neighboring high schools from the town can come and and play and use it as sporting fields. Like, yeah, for sure. I just feel like it's a better use of the park. And I and I fully understand we don't like things to be destroyed we don't like new things but we put in this bid to get it here think about the you know what it's going to do to our economy that then we have to we have to prepare for it and part of preparing for it is making sure we have enough fields and it just makes logical sense to use that part i'm just thinking if like traffic at the 95 76 oh yeah no that's going to be awful yeah it's going to be it's dreadful gonna be a nightmare. yeah 100 i mean parking down there is bad enough <laughs> as it is but yeah no it's going to bring a lot of challenges but also having it there 
the trains all go there. This the Broad Street Line goes there. And Everyone's going to take the train up into the city. Exactly. Like we can do it just like we did when the Pope came, right? Nobody drove downtown. Everybody just rode the train. Same thing with the parade. You know, that was what millions of people at the at the Super Bowl True. parade. And they were just like, you know what? You can't drive into the city. You got to take a train. So, I mean, I, I suspect that that part of South Philadelphia will be only accessible via mass transit and certain particular routes. But, yeah, I mean... You got to look at the positive with the negative. And yeah, I just, I don't see the problem with There's turning in there. FDR Park into a park full of soccer fields. But that's the big controversy. There is a petition. If people are interested in signing it, you can find it online. Mm-hmm. Not hard to find. Um, did you have something else on your radar? Well, I was going to just follow up because I, I know I mentioned it on the last episode. I just dropped a local pizza joint on Lehigh. And you know, I ended up coming across this article. I just just to follow that that thread up uh, on infatuation. There was um, Philly's best pizza places, and I just had to just run down the list. Maybe touch on a few. Not everyone, but certainly the uh, down north pizza that I mentioned before is on the list. In addition to, there's a few spots nearby, Pizza John in Maniunk, which I've never heard of before but would be totally game to check out because it's not particularly far away. There's quite a few places, surprisingly, that are listed in Kensington. So Eva is one of them, E-E-V-A, pizza in Kensington. Another one is Hook and Master Pizza, which I'm looking at the pizza in the article here, and it's it's like totally burnt here. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, it doesn't look particularly appealing. <laughs> some but, people okay. really like burnt pizza. I mean, some people do. Actually, the kid totally loves charcoal pizza. But uh, Pizzeria uh, Badea in Fishtown, that looks like a really hip joint. And there's, there's quite a few others here. I'm not going to run down the entire list. But that was just another one, again, just following up on that thread of down, down north pizza. The kid and I keep talking about at some point we'll do a tour of all the pizza joints in Philly. But it has yet to happen. Right. Well, you know, there's, you got time. There's time. You got yeah. time. So what, what's going on in your radar? Well, uh, two more things. I wanted to just mention again uh, that the mapping at the Maplewood Mall is happening. It's this weekend coming up. It is on Saturday. It's from noon to 6 p.m. It's at the Maplewood Mall. If you don't know where the Maplewood Mall is, it's that little strip, Maplewood Ave, I think it is. Uh, it's in Germantown, right off Germantown Avenue. It's between Germantown Avenue and Green Street. G-Town Radio has their station right there on the Maplewood Mall. We That's are right correct. there. So um, if you want to come out, uh, it's live music, it's events, it's uh, vendors, it's arts and all kinds of great programming. Uh, and it's completely free, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. And so you should, you know, come come check it out. See, see what's going on. The mapping um, is happening. At the mapping. And remember, it will be every uh, last Saturday of the month and all the warmer months. But this is the first one. So come on out. Very cool. Check it, check it, check it. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, something that came across my radar. There was recently, um, June 17th, as a matter of fact, uh, kind of a wicked crash at the corner of Hoarder and Lincoln Drive. And what drew my attention to this was because a truck was involved, as Mm -hmm. often happens, but basically, I mean, I know we're radio and nobody can see this picture, but I'm going to show you the picture so you understand okay. what happened. Right? Whoa. Oh, exactly. my gosh. Exactly. <laughs> 
Right. So what you can't see, listeners, is that it is a picture of a truck that is clearly making a right turn from the left lane because it's a big 18-wheeler truck. And a car has pulled up into the right lane to make their right turn. On the left side of the truck where the truck the truck driver can't see most likely. On the right side of the truck. Yeah. Right. The, the truck driver is trying to turn right, right from Sorry. the left lane. Right. And this car is now in the right lane right next to it. Yeah. Where the truck driver can't see it. And as you all know, 18-wheelers, particularly on the lovely narrow streets of Philadelphia, really pretty much always have to turn right from the left Roads lane. Roads around here are not meant for tractor trailers. For trucks, right. Yeah. So that's problem one. Problem two is that, you know, while it says in the neighborhood, like, you know, please, trucks probably shouldn't do this, they have to if they're delivering things. We have businesses that require things delivered in trucks. So it does have to happen. So my question to you is, who would you really claim is at fault here? I mean, that poor car got sandwiched underneath that truck. That poor, yeah, but, you know, I, I wonder what led up to that. So did the truck have his blinker on, number one, to signal that he was turning right? Um, and, yeah, you know, the truck, if depending on how long it is, would have to make a right turn maybe from more like a center lane. But my guess is, knowing how people drive around here, because this happens to me all the time, just happened to me earlier today, I'm driving along, and then someone comes up to me on the right, like maybe I'm assuming they're turning right, but then they're just getting ready to, to pull up in front of me because apparently I'm driving too slow, I guess. But my guess is that car could have, by chance, been trying to get around that truck and didn't really stop to consider... Uh, maybe the truck was turning right. I'm sure the truck did not see that car. I'm sure the truck didn't. So the... the um, person who shared this post mentioned two things that I found very interesting. Mm -hmm. So Lincoln Drive is incorrectly labeled arterial, right? A so an arterial road basically indicates to trucks and larger vehicles that they can travel on it because it's wide enough, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a narrow neighborhood road. It's not, you know, that's so the whole... This is, this is on Lincoln Drive. Correct. Okay. Right. And roads in our neighborhood that are considered arterial are Germantown Avenue. Trucks can go down Germantown Avenue. Yep. Lincoln Drive. Trucks can go down there. But roads like Green Street and Hoarder and smaller streets like that, right, they don't have on the sign, it doesn't say arterial because they don't want trucks to take them, right? They want trucks to. So this was a truck trying to turn onto Hoarder, which is not an arterial road, which is why trucks constantly get stuck under that overpass over at Upsil train station because they're going through there to get to that little you know shopping district that's right there right but it's not an arterial road it's mm -hmm. not a road that's basically designated for that but what this poster is saying is that lincoln drive shouldn't be labeled it an arterial road i mean you can drive on it with a truck to a certain point but once you get past like johnson you really or it's not yeah johnson street you really shouldn't be driving a truck on lincoln drive it's just too windy there was one time a truck came in into the neighborhood uh, i was coming home in the evening time and i was coming up lincoln drive up onto carpenter and there was a tractor trailer coming down and he stopped like well before coming to uh carpenter train station because he could clearly tell he was not going to make it underneath the train tracks and he's asking me hey where do i turn around here i'm like there's nowhere for you to go in this neighborhood you have to turn out of here and get back to where you came yeah he apparently came in from like plymouth meeting and someone told him just drive into germ just take germantown in you can get onto the highway from there 
So. Right. And he's like, and now I'm stuck in this neighborhood. Yeah. So it doesn't really say sort of who is the police did come and they came rather rapidly, which is great because, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, and luckily, nobody was seriously injured. But I mean, that car is totaled. <laughs> that person's buying a new car sure, because uh, it rolled up under there. I'm suspecting they did not see the blinker. I would think the truck driver would have had the blinker on. But yeah, the truck driver wouldn't have been able to see, especially if that car just buzzed right up like in that exactly. moment and then boom he goes to turn so yeah i mean you just can't take it for granted I mean, the rule of thumb just stay away from trucks keep your well, distance but. and pay attention and watch out out there especially in our neighborhood they have to come through the neighborhood we have businesses who require deliveries via truck so yep. just keep that in mind and stay alert that's all i got so you don't get your car crashed yeah exactly so we're ready for our main segment, Eric. What are we talking about this week? What are you talking about? This well, week? you know, I wanted to bring up just because this was in my news feed. It was a, a press release earlier this week, specifically uh, about Roche. I mean, you, as you know, I, I tend to kind of keep my ear to the ground a little bit in the biotech world, and there was a um, the press release that came out. Uh, it was on June sixteenth. And this was with regards to uh, some negative results that were observed in clinical trials, specifically for Roche's therapy for Alzheimer's disease. Mm. So Alzheimer's disease is sort of the, the theme here. And I want to talk a little bit about Alzheimer's itself, some of the treatments that are out there, you know, where, where is the... Uh, industry, if you look at um, therapeutics and means of treating this and considering the impact of Alzheimer's and perhaps some some preventative measures, but just maybe just, just talking about it generally, just to help give our listeners maybe a better sense and understanding of what it is and how it impacts everyone, really, the entire U.S., but certainly on a local level, I'm sure everyone can appreciate. Going back to this Roche press release, so they have a therapy that trials had actually begun way back in 2013. And it's, I believe, the it's called crinezumab. So anytime you hear a therapy, this is the actual generic name, crinezumab. So it's got mab at the end of it, which means it's an antibody treatment, which the bulk of the th medical therapies that are out there um, usually are antibody-based. But this study w goes back to 2013, it encompassed about 252 participants, um, and they actually came from an extended family in Colombia that shared a rare genetic mutation that would most likely cause them to have early symptoms of Alzheimer's by age 45. So be aware that uh, there is definitely a genetic component uh, to Alzheimer's, but it's not maybe specific in every case. But yeah, I've heard of people who have developed symptoms at a very young age, in this case, 45, and they're looking at, um, like in any kind of um, clinical trial, they have a sham, which is a population of patients that don't actually get the therapy and those that do. And it turned out after this eight-year period of this entire trial, the drug failed to meet certain um, goals that are tied to indication of what we call biomarkers that are tied to the Alzheimer's disease. So maybe to go back a little bit to another company, Biogen. So Biogen is one of many other big pharmas 
But what distinguishes them is they actually have an FDA-approved Alzheimer's therapy that's on the market. I don't know if you heard about this because I believe this was just approved uh, within the past year or past mm-hmm. two years. It was it came out in the news. the The therapy is called Aduhelm, but it's similar to the Roche therapy. It's an antibody-based therapy, and the focus of this antibody is to target what's called amyloid or beta amyloid, which is a protein that is used by your brain and just part of daily functioning. And so this kind of gets to the root of maybe not so much the cause of Alzheimer's, but the indications, the symptoms, manifestations of Alzheimer's. So it kind of goes back to specifically two types of proteins. So I'm going to get a little sciencey here on you. But one is the beta amyloid that I mentioned the other one is called tau, and that's just the name of the, the protein itself. Again, both of these are proteins that your brain consumes, almost like the way you consume food to, to power thought, all the processing that your brain has to do. And then just like food, eventually it becomes waste, and you've got to get rid of it. In the case of a normal brain, your brain flushes that stuff out, in the case of an Alzheimer's patient, those proteins tend to accumulate. So it's like someone's not flushing the toilet here, and what happens is these beta amyloid will form plaques, or they'll aggregate, they'll clump together. And what scientists see is under the microscope, these clumps, these plaques actually inhibit the connections between neurons. So neurons, as you know, they, they uh, process thought through electricity traveling and neurotransmitters that travel between your neurons, right? So these beta amyloid are basically disrupting those highways that connect the neurons. Additionally, these tau proteins, they call them tau tangles because of the way the protein is shaped. It actually forms like little braids that actually build up inside of the neuron itself. So the neuron, the cell starts to lose nutrients uh, because of these tangles that start to involve, um, you know, start to grow inside of them and basically leads to cell death. And then people who suffer from Alzheimer's over time, their, ba- their brain is basically atrophying. That's what's happening. You know a lot of this. Yes. So before I go any further, tell me, Mary Angela, what do you know about Alzheimer's? Well, I know that it has only been in the last 50 years that they've really identified it and started addressing it as a disease, as as something separate than um, just age dementia, which, you know, up till 50 years ago, we just thought, well, this is just something that happens to some people when they age. This is just natural aging and there's nothing we can do about it. But then in the last 50 years, we as a society started going, you know what, I think, I think this is different than regular age-related, you know, dementia. And here are the, the ways that it's different. I also know that over 100 years ago, or close to 100 years ago, it was discovered as something different than age-related dementia uh, by the Germans. But because of what was happening in that part of the world, World War One and then World War Two. 
we didn't take that information like we didn't do anything with it we sat on it which is why alzheimer's is something so new to us now is because it was like it was discovered and somebody blew this whistle but as a medical field we were like mm, but it was the germans that blew that whistle and are the germans okay let's ignore all of that so i know that that set us back quite a bit um but i also know that it's up until recently was considered something that there was nothing we could do about yeah and to that point uh the past it's really the past three decades there's been a lot of intentionally active research into alzheimer's treatments and it really hasn't been until recently that you see this first FDA-approved drug on the market. Just because it's FDA-approved, we have to maybe talk about it a little bit in context here because, as we know, anytime we have the, or the FDA approves a therapy, part of that relies on having some kind of data to support the efficacy of the drug, its ability to treat the illness, and safety to the patient. So we do a series of clinical trials. Now with the Aduhelm, the Biogen product, it's a antibody. It targets the amyloid plaques. And the idea is that like, you know, your immune system basically comes into your brain, identifies the antibody. Uh, your antibody flags the proteins in your immune system, just consumes them to remove the plaque. But from the two different trials that were done, one showed some improvement uh, maybe by 20% in delaying the onset of Alzheimer's age-related dementia, and the other trial showed no improvement whatsoever. So I don't know the specific details of the trials. You know, it, a lot of things factor into that, like patient population, who are the folks that you're targeting, is it people who have genetic illness, uh, what are the age ranges of those people. So the, the two data sets don't talk to each other, which brings into a lot of question the efficacy of it, but because the FDA gave it what's called an accelerated approval. Now, the difference being, as you can imagine, the review time is much shorter. They're willing to take it maybe with a little grain of salt. Why? Because there is no treatment currently on the market right. for it. So part of the FDA's intent there was to send a signal to the industry, hey, we've approved this drug, and to try and encourage other drug manufacturers to maybe pursue this route to develop therapies. The concern from the medical community, again, based on the efficacy data, but also concerns around potential safety. If you imagine you establish an immune response in your brain, you have your immune system attacking plaques in your brain, well, you know what happens when you get sick, you get a fever. In this case, there's potential for, say, brain swelling that can occur and potential brain bleeding. So it's something that's not really heavily understood. But I think the FDA is trying to balance the risk versus, um, you know, opening the door to uh, some potentially new effective therapies. But based on the findings from this press release from the therapy that Roche was working on, it looks like taking this avenue of pursuing the amyloid, trying to solve the problem after it's occurred is not really the way to go. Yeah, we got to figure out what's causing it, how to keep it from building up in the first place. Exactly. Now, some other things to consider too, with any kind of new therapy, okay, so efficacy, safety, the other thing is cost of the consumer. So based on the biogen, the, the therapy is a bit pricey for the average consumer, through insurance, you'd still be paying close to fifty-six grand over the course of a year for treatment. 
which was actually cut in half about a year ago. But it certainly is uh, another hurdle that you're adding here to, to patients actually being able to access these types of therapies. These are really the only two therapies that have been proposed. The one that's FDA approved still has a lot of questions surrounding it, uh, a lot of hesitation from the medical community and patients, but the intent is to open the floodgates a little bit and try and get other folks to develop newer therapies. Maybe to give you a better understanding, though, a holistic perspective of Alzheimer's, you can go to the Alzheimer's Association webpage and they have a plethora of information specifically for folks who are either dealing with Alzheimer's or, importantly, caregivers, family members who are dealing with someone in their family who's suffering with Alzheimer's. So one of the statistics uh, that comes out from an annual report from the Alzheimer's Association, and this is actually for 2022, one in three seniors will die from Alzheimer's or dementia-related diseases. It remains the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. Wow. It's pretty astounding. I didn't realize the statistics were that high. So it kills more than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. But I think something that you're also familiar with, because you had a, a guest speaker, a neurologist, come to your place of work that talked a little bit about this. But the burden on the healthcare system. Right. So do you, do you recall what, what any of those statistics? I don't remember specifically um, the statistics, but I do remember him talking about the way that we have to care for them when they can't be cared for at home and the cost of that and the cost of the doctors. They need round-the-clock care, and then sometimes they need aid to eat and keeping them alive because right. their body isn't doing it anymore and all of that. They're not able to care for themselves. Right, correct. So over 11 million Americans provide unpaid. These are not medical professionals. These are just average Americans who have family members who have Alzheimer's, provide unpaid health care to people, family members with dementia, providing more than what's calculated at 16 billion hours, valued at about $272 billion. Wow. Yeah. So... That's just the number of people who are caring for them. So about more than 6 million Americans live with Alzheimer's. This is a statistic from 2022. But you have almost double that in the number of population of people who are actually providing care for these people who are suffering. So again, the, the symptoms really are tied to immediate memory loss, but it becomes much worse over time. One of the things that uh, if you go to the AL, um, the Alzheimer's Association website, they talk a little bit about um, mild cognitive impairment. Have you ever heard of that term before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's something that I think they're trying to actively educate more people about because mild cognitive impairment, or MCI, it, it's, it affects a large population, and it's sort of the umbrella under which can lead down the road to Alzheimer's, but it's really the recognizing a change in behavior, memory loss for aging adults. And this typically ranges between 45 to 65. Uh, and you start to, that's to really when you start to see the, the progression or the development onset of um, MCI. And what's interesting is when you look at the data, both between 45 and 65, you, you notice that there's a definitely a disparity in the, the population that's affected. So women are affected probably twice as much as men are. 
which I thought was interesting. I, I actually thought it was the other way around. But no, apparently that's the case. So about 12 to 18% of people at the age of 60 are actively living with some form of MCI. Uh, in terms of risk factors, it's kind of like the main checklist for all the major risk factors for any uh, serious illness. One of those being diabetes. Mm -hmm. Smoking is certainly another one. Uh, uh, this is like a cluster of things. They all just kind of huddle together. Uh, the other one being high blood pressure, obesity, depression, but what uniquely sedentary lifestyle and infrequent participation in mental or social stimulating activities. So that seems to be a, a, a red flag as potential risk factors for developing MCI, which again can turn into Alzheimer's. So the difference is MCI is just a collection of uh, cognitive impairments, memory function, maybe you're, you have some slight differences in your personality, but Alzheimer's is really the extension of that and the atrophy of the brain. So dementia, you can have those symptoms, but your brain's not atrophied. That's really the difference, right? Mm -hmm. Another key risk factor, and kind of switching gears here a little bit to sort of preventative maintenance, and this is not very well understood because neuroscientists really don't fully understand the brain to begin with, and Alzheimer's is just one piece of that puzzle. But we do have a sense and draw some correlation between certain behaviors, a lot of that tied to getting restful sleep. So have you heard about that before? I have, yeah. That's usually when people talk about, you know, things you can do to help prevent Alzheimer's as if, you know, since as much as we understand it, um, they always talk about getting appropriate amount of sleep. They talk about keeping your brain active, brain games, keeping yourself, you know, um, eating eating well, things like that. But yeah, so um, one of the things that at least I came across in my research um, and this sort of tying the link uh, to complete the, the picture here to maybe understand where these plaques are forming or why these plaques are forming uh, is tied to sleep. And it's specifically REM sleep, getting appropriate deep sleep. So I, if you go back, if you recall, I mentioned your, your brain, it uses the, the, um, the amyloid and the tau proteins just for normal daily functioning, but then it becomes a byproduct, right? There's, there's a waste from that, and your, your brain purges that. Well, it turns out your brain purges that uh, primarily during sleep hours, and it's, it's really in this deep sleep, this REM sleep. So being able to get that deep sleep could potentially be linked to the onset of either MCI or potentially you know Alzheimer's. So uh, depriving yourself of sleep is not a good thing. I think in this day and age, especially with a lot of people, more people now working out of the home office with COVID and the pandemic, it's forced a lot of computer working people to actually work longer hours and spend more time in front of the computer. And that's actually really a bad thing. And this is a potential avenue that, that could result as, from, from actually doing that. So some of the things you can consider doing to ensure you get better sleep there are supplements certainly you can try, as you're aware of, right? Like like magnesium is certainly one. Uh, you have like a magnesium rub that you put on your feet. I do. Does does that you find that it helps you go to sleep? It pretty does. Well? Yeah, because your feet absorb it really quickly, and yeah, magnesium definitely helps you sleep. Yeah, uh, there are definitely some herbal supplements that I've come across. Uh, one of them that I've read, at least more more popularly known, is valerian. 
Uh, it's an herb that contains, uh, I believe it's called GABA, which is an acronym for probably a really long uh, mineral or a protein. But it's a it's a neuroinhibiting transmitter. The idea is that the it, the the uh, the GABA actually it's like turning the off switch on your brain. So it's it's slowing down the activity in your brain. That's really the the the, the goal of being able to fall into appropriate sleep. Another one that's very commonly used and over-the-counter, of course, is melatonin, which your body naturally produces. Another thing you can consider doing is reprogramming your circadian rhythm. So think about when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. You should try and keep, ideally, a consistent schedule. Now, I know a lot of musician friends of mine tend to be night owls, and that's okay as long as you get your eight hours in. Get your sleep in and do it consistently. And another key piece to that is turning off your electronic devices at least an hour before bedtime. So I'm sure you're, you've heard a lot about this and another reason why working on the computer, especially late, is not good for you. So there is blue light that comes off your screens, both your computer and your phone. That blue light actually signals to your brain, hey, it's daytime. You need to stay awake. So if you're on your phone right before bedtime, maybe not in the case for everybody. You tend to fall asleep pretty quickly. But uh, I know for myself, I can't be staring at computer or electronic devices right before bed because then my mind's still going long after I turn it off. Well, that's why they have... Um, they have what they call night shift, which is a way to switch your screens to what they call the night shift, which doesn't do that. It helps minimize that effect. Also, they've got blue light blocker glasses now yep. that you can wear. If you have prescription glasses, you can get that filter on there. Or if they sell just regular non-prescription glasses that are just blue light filter. For those of you who wear contacts or don't wear glasses at all, lucky ducks, um, <laughs> you get to wear <laughs> regular um, blue, blue light filtering glasses that'll help with all of that. And that's one of the reasons is because of studies like this where they're like this. Well, and I normally keep a blue light filter on my laptop. Like there's usually on most computers, you have like a nighttime setting Mm -hmm. so that it kind of gives like a red hue to your screen. I actually use, I usually keep that on my computer most of the time because if I leave the blue light on, I end up getting like serious eye strain and I'll get a headache just from staring at my computer too long. Mm-hmm. Some other behavior approaches you can take or to modify your behavior, specifically when you go to bed, uh, again, in addition to turning off devices, try and black out the room as much as possible. The idea is you're trying to eliminate stimulation to your brain to allow your brain to shut off. Another component to that, too, is temperature. Maybe you don't think about it often, but it's important that your body is cold or cool uh, in order to fall asleep appropriately. I'm sure there are many people who can recount instances of, especially like in late summer, hot summer nights, and the AC's busted, and it's hot and humid, and you just, you just can't sleep to save your life. Your, your body needs to be cool. It's like hibernating. So that's one component. Um, and other things like managing your meals on a regular basis, Uh, avoiding naps during the day, um, and incorporating meditation. So being able to step away from a lot of regular stimulation to give your your brain a break. I think compared to just 100 years ago, people are bombarded with so much stimulation, especially coming from electronic devices. Like when you watch the TV, it's actually 
I don't know how many hundreds of frames per second that are flashing in front of your face to make a complete picture. That's a lot of information for your brain to take in. So it's okay to take a break, put your electronic devices away. It's okay to step away from work because in the long run, it's going to make you more productive and it's to your good health. So that's really all I wanted to talk about. Just a little bit about Alzheimer's. I know it's something that I've dealt with personally. Uh, I know I'm sure many of our listeners uh, can empathize in having a family member that they've had to help or manage um, through that situation. Well, yeah, here's to hopefully some some new therapies and treatments that maybe can start at the at the onset as opposed to the you know or, or you know help prevent instead of you know, treating once it's already there. Yeah. More proactive approaches. That's what we need. Yeah. Well, I'll look for, I'll look for that in the future. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned, everybody. We're going to take a, a quick break, and then we'll be back with Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? All right. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right, we're back. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's time for my favorite segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? Who are the musicians in our neighborhood, Eric? Well, today, as it happens, we are joined by none other than Gretchen Elise. Welcome, Gretchen. Welcome, Gretchen Elise. (laughs) Thank Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here in Germantown with you. Thank you. Well, uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, How long have you been making music? Where, Where are you from? All that good stuff. I have actually had to think about all these things because I am teaching currently fifth graders and sixth graders in Overbrook. And at the end of each class, I ask them what questions they have. So I've had to go back and look (laughs) into my archive. Got this stuff at the top of my head. I wrote my first lyrics at age seven, an ode to my favorite gymnast. I was a gymnast all through college, Nadia Comaneci. Sent them off to the Romanian embassy. Um, but I took a big great break in songwriting. I did piano and um, chorus and bell choir in school, but I took a break to do movement, movement arts, dance, and so on, and went back to songwriting at about 24. And I've been writing and performing ever since. So I teach. Currently, I'm working as a teaching artist. I consider myself an educator and a musician and a songwriter and have ventured into poetry in this past year as well. Nice. Very cool. Where are you from? I live in West Philly. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Delco. Nice. So I guess I'm a Delco girl, really, at heart. Well, tell us what you like about the music scene in Philly. Like, I always like asking this question because every musician has a different answer. So I actually listened to your phenomenal episode that you sent me and was thinking about this question. Mm-hmm. What do I like about the music th- scene in Philly. I actually moved back to Philly after um, being on a long kind of worldwide journey since high school. Um, Berlin, Boston, primarily Rhode Island. And I really moved back to Philly to be close to family, but also because the jazz and R&B and hip hop roots that I grew up on are alive and thriving here. And the thing that I think I like the most is the humility of the musicians that I encounter. Like 
there's so much talent in this city and people are so skilled and have so much chops. Uh, you know, touring musicians, musicians come from all over the world to Philly to recruit their bands. Yeah. And yet, um, you know, somebody like Doug Grigsby, our mutual friend, who was Tina Marie's musical director for 12, 20, I don't know, 15, long time, mm-hmm. worked with the greats, um, had no uh, problem working with me, actually really wanted to work with me and really appreciated music for music's sake, not for the frills or the accoutrements that come along with the trappings of being well-known and so on. It's like really about the substance. Yeah. And that that is just beautiful and um, it's a treasure. I, I agree with that. Right I hadn't on. I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up and I thought, you're right. So many musicians that I met through this process have, you know, they, they are really into the music for the music. It's not about where can this music take me? What can I do with it? It's like I just love doing this and I love being a part of this and, and meeting people. So that's great. I love it. So but, one sorry, so I was say one of the questions he likes to ask is where are your favorite places to play? And you can go pre pandemic for this answer. <laughs> um, since I know it's hard getting mm-hmm. back out. Mm-hmm. But you know, performing wise, um, where where are your favorite haunts? Where do you where do you well, like I'd to go? be curious maybe to, to, to start with the question of like where have you started to cut your niche? Like it, are there certain neighborhoods or venues that you've frequented to kind of build that? a presence in the community yeah i'd say that keyword community um places where all ages audiences overlap uh, so because perhaps i am a parent and i have two kids who are now in middle school went through um philly public elementary or now at gamp um which is a music public school in South Philly. I've definitely migrated towards settings where I can combine my roles. So I've worked in schools. I've volunteer advocated for schools. Um, in fact, um, that's how I know your neighbor <laughs> <laughs> is being a volunteer at the elementary school. Nice. Um, so community festivals community jazz series so cedar park is is a key one that i've played quite frequently denise king kicked off years ago and still going strong um things in clark park like um community unity festival that the faulkners um front or head and and organize um those are where kind of there's festivals series in in south philly there's one in um carpenter uh friends of julian abley park um those tend to be my go-tos, those kind of community series where there's different activities for kids. Sometimes I even bring activities for kids. I even brought prop. Like lately, I've gotten really into back into instrument making, which is something I did with kids um, when I was based in Boston. So last year, during you know post-pandemic ventures, um, I set up tables at a lot of my gigs where people would make shakers out of recycled um that's cool oh that's awesome. bottles a- according to a theme hmm. this one happens to be about um black lives matter 
and the war in the Ukraine and where those two overlap. What are the concepts that are overlapping, which is these kids came up with basically fairness and justice, the yeah. wow. search for fairness and justice. So this is like a real deep thematic one, but sometimes it could be, you know, West African fabric, if that's relevant to the community where I'm doing it or in the at the woodlands, I did birds and, you know, flora and fauna from the woodlands. Nice. So I guess my favorite setting is where you kind of combine that multi-arts, multi-age yeah. scenario. Yeah, more inclusive type venues. Yeah, very cool. So I've started also to frequent some of my favorite um, places to frequent lately have been poetry readings where they are open to music. And sometimes there is, you know, one or two musicians on hand that ad lib, um, but open mics where... Um, like Calabash, the Boogie Mandela host in West Philly. Um, the Bayou Lounge is a new one that's next to Booker's on 50th in Baltimore. Um, and lately, IT The Chosen Ones done a series last month that was um, at D's Cafe in Darby. Okay. Which hmm. was, like, the audience was like insanely supportive. A lot of my performances are interactive. So kids are... Are, are eager to do that but not every adult audience will go yeah. for it but i find the poetry um oriented audiences really come to listen and they really come to pay attention to detail and so far i have had really really great interactive performances in that setting nice. so i'm definitely con gonna continue your current um, situation, you're working with a producer that's in the neighborhood, correct? For this for this recent release, yes, I did. Um, so shout out to Kevin Arthur, who is from Germantown and currently touring with Common. Um, I know he has a ton of, of accolades and placements and prizes to his name. Um, and again, is is one of these very humble, um, extremely skilled Philly musicians mm -hmm. that is willing to give me the time of day um, and is on the, on the journey for the music. Right. Um, so I guess I met him through Oren Evans, who's a Mount Airy um, favorite and, you know, Grammy-nominated um, pianist. And they used to... Oh, I, I spoke about the the open mic that Oren used to hold. But in any event, um, after Doug was in my regular band, and um, after he passed, I looked to Kevin to to start working together. And I was trying to do a tune um, to thank an arts educator mm -hmm. that directed a program that I, in turn, used to direct and now work for as a teaching artist, which is called the Picasso Project. It brings artists residents into schools and partnerships with teachers, Philly public schools. Oh, that's very cool. Nice. So, um, so I was actually just trying to figure out a way to thank this, um, this former director, um, for his great work and, uh, I had a zoom with the other committee people that I volunteer with. And I said kind of, well, you know, maybe, when I left that job, they threw me a big party at World Cafe Live, and that like still fuels me. Nice. <laughs> that was you know eight years ago or something. So, 
I felt like uh, maybe I could I could at least write this guy a song. And then, oh, no. Yeah, actually, I don't have any time. I'm, what am I trying to do? Commit to this. I, I can't promise to write a song. Got off the the Zoom session, and in 10 minutes, I had a song. So in the middle of the song, I left a whole kind of ad-lib part where I collected words from 30 people that he worked with mm-hmm. about him or phrases and worked them into kind of like a middle section. And it, it was a tune that we made uh, literally two minutes because it was only supposed to be aired on a Zoom. Right. <laughs> um, so I did the mock-up on Lo- in Logic, which I'm trying to learn now. Um, and, you know, a bass line that actually is not really a bass line um, on, on, on MIDI with the piano. And it was just a fun, it was a fun feel. So I decided after it, um, after we aired it in the Zoom, you know, this is, this is really fun and we should actually release this. So um, Kevin, who's been a producer for years, um, really took it and kind of massaged and reworked my, um, my logic mock-up mm-hmm. and just added layers and added flavor and added everything that a producer does. Right. Um, and, and made it into a real track, um, you know, while keeping the, the kind of the raw feel. It's, it's, nice. it's, it's a little ditty. So we filmed a, um, I reached out to a videographer in Camden to do a video, you know, within 48 hours of calling him, we had this video filmed and done, conceived, fi- done uh, in West Philly, going around to different people in West Philly who've supported my music and mm-hmm. thanking them. So we brought it kind of outside the realm of this art educator, Tim Gibbon, who is this amazing guy, and into a kind of a general thank you tune. Um, I love that. And that's the track that we're going <laughs> to listen to That's today. the track. And we just I just released it um, the end of March um, at Calabash, which is a venue um, in West Philly that I mentioned, kind of right off Lancaster Ave, that I mentioned has a, a open mic night on Mondays that I go mm-hmm. to a lot. Host a uh, stereotype sound sessions host it. Um, so it was fun to have an event. Again, yeah. it was a multi-age thing. My daughter and two friends performed. Um, she's <laughs> 13. Um, and lots of people did poetry. And it was an open mic as well. That was kind of a new thing. It was just a performance with tracks. And Jan Jeffries on live percussion. But of course, I had shakers and percussion for everybody. So it was very <laughs> interactive. Even if it was with the backing track. Yeah. Cool. Boy, I wish I had seen that. <laughs> I you can super, see it all I, on Instagram. I, I it's hi, it's highly that. documented. But... <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, we're going to play this track. Let's play it. We're going to play this track. So, Gretchen Elise, thank you.
That's great. That's a catchy little tune. I like it. I have to say the styling is not typical for me, but the educator who I wrote it for is himself a musician who goes by La Palma. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff he does is kind of electronic, kind of um, fantastical, and some of it has kind of an 80s vibe. So I kind of went for this. 80s feel. I can hear that. Yeah. And it's not really my go-to style, so it was fun to do something different. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has a pop feel. Mm-hmm. But it's it's fun that that baseline carries. Have do, you do, released do, the video? Yeah, you can Where find can it anywhere it? under thank you. Gretchen awesome. Elise like YouTube. Awesome. And the last name is spelled E L I S E. Exactly. All right. That's cool. technically my middle name. Great. Is that where we find you on social? Yes, Gretchen Elise Music. That's so great. you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube under that moniker. All right. So what's on the uh, horizon for Gretchen Elise? So lately I've been really experimenting with Logic, debuting at these poetry evenings, not with the whole band, but just as myself. Um, new songs, new material to see what, to take the temperature and mm-hmm. see what people react to. And that's helping guide me to pick some material that might be a little edgier than stuff I've done before that's definitely rated G. Um, and there might be several recordings that I have on tap. One might be more family-oriented. One might be more live jazz situation that I could do at WRTI. One is definitely a Latin collaboration that I may do with Suzette Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of different different feels but this this what i have on deck right now i I don't want to talk too much about about what's on deck i'll come circle back around when it's done (laughs) but definitely the process of cataloging and organizing and seeing what do you have ready to go what needs to be copywritten what needs to be refined um that's all part of the prep and it's part of the work and kind of moving you inching inching you forward and not just being about talk, being about like let's move towards Make getting it, it done. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thank you Gretchen. very much really for being it. with us. Absolutely, we really appreciate it. And maybe before I, I leave, I can also plug my website is same name GretchenElise.com. I do have a calendar of events up there, and coming up this summer, I'm going to be in a hip hop jazz series in West Philly that's co-sponsored by Vincent Hughes. State Senator Vincent Hughes' office. Nice. So that's kind of the the next thing on deck, performance wise. People can look out for. Okay. They will. Very we will. Cool. Thank you. To it. Thank you. Have a great night. Thanks for being here. Thank you so so much. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This was a great show. Thanks, Eric, for your topic on Alzheimer's. We learned some great things that are happening in the neighborhood, as well as discussed what we should do by 2026 when the World Cup comes to Philly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and our great musical guests so uh, thanks for tuning in if you have any suggestions for musical guests or topics or things going on in the neighborhood that we should bring up on our next episode please don't hesitate to reach out our email is what do you know gtown at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram or facebook at what do you know about that have a great weekend <laughs>